Okay, here we go. Anyway, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, um, keeping in mind that uh, Peter, his, his intent in this book is to arm his readers against the heresies of the false prophets that uh, have already in these early days of the church started to invade the church. Uh, It would appear from this text that one of the primary heresies that uh, is being espoused is is, uh, concerning the Lord's return Uh, and uh, maybe even the fact of uh, the 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 idea here is that perhaps uh, he's not going to come back at all uh, is kind of the idea and uh, everything just goes on as it always is Uh, history is just an ongoing event and uh, there really has been no uh, effect of Christ's first coming because he's not coming back it's kind of the idea that they have been, been expressing and Peter has been refuting that as we go through this book and warning them and here in these last verses he's going to kind of just summarize or bring together all of that and direct us uh, uh, direct us in in what uh, holy living should look like uh, uh, to a, to a certain extent and uh, give us some ideas there and there's some there's some important things that come in as we as we hit this text uh, he's going to affirm the inspiration of Paul's letters as we go through this and so uh, uh, we have this uh, apostolic uh, 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 cooperation that we see between the two of them we'll talk about that as we get there but at any rate at any rate there's there's quite a bit of stuff packed into these final verses as as we look at it so hopefully we will do justice to it in the Holy Spirit so let's uh, morning come on in morning. So uh, we will uh, give them just a second, and we'll open in prayer. Father God, as we uh, as we come to our text this morning, we just ask that uh, by your grace and through your Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our understanding to to incorporate these verses into our lives. That they would they would become an effectual part of us. Uh, that we would understand and that we would see clearly you in this text and 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 the desire that you have for us and the hope that is ours because of the Lord Jesus Christ and we would ask father that uh, that you would bless this company you would bless this entire congregation today as we meet to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ his ascension to the throne in heaven and his soon coming to deliver us and father we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus amen Okay, so as we come to the text, we're going to first of all look at the first uh, 11 through uh, 13, those verses which I, 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 I entitle Living in the Light of Promise. And, and here he says, Peter says to us, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we be in holy living, in holy conduct, in and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed? 
are burning. Uh, the heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will be melted with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So he begins, he begins by calling us back to what he's just said. In, ver- in verses 7 through 10 about the destruction of the universe, where he said, But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow concerning, uh, slow about his promises, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed. He says, based upon that, based upon that, have a clear view of things. Based upon the fact that that this earth will be destroyed, don't fix your hope on it. Uh, that's kind of the idea here. He's saying, since these things will, this present universe will be destroyed in this way, then the question he asked is, and it's not really a question, it's a rhetorical question, it's really a statement. He says, what sort of people ought we be? That's what he's saying here. He's saying, given the fact that this planet you're standing on isn't always going to be here, it's going to get changed. It's going to get destroyed. This universe is going away. Then how ought you live in it, is, is the idea. How should, how should you see it? Certainly, it's not the place to worship, as our current environmental movement would uh, have you. Uh, there, I think there's, there's sound grounds for some environmental ideas of protecting groundwater and forest and that kind of thing. Uh, I heard... Uh, 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 Philip Yancey one time to speak and he says he says I'm kind I'm kind of a <clears throat> how did he put it he said I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a tree hugger the difference is I know why mm. you know and and that's <laughs> and that's kind of the idea here uh, but the idea is we're not to uh, we're not to put all of our hope and all our all our uh, desires on this earth that's the idea that he's wanting to say he says no, instead how ought we live how ought what kind of people should we be and this is really an exclamation of astonishment it's a rhetorical type of question he's not expecting them to answer it he's going to tell them what the answer is in the next in the next idea ought is a word that means uh, an obligation and in this case it's a divine obligation on behalf on the on the re, on the reader's part how ought we behave ourselves before the god of the universe is what what he is uh, what he is saying to us here macarthur in his uh, in his commentary said on this phrase it could be translated how astonishing excellent you ought to be is is the is the idea here? Uh, that's it's it's a call uh, to to how we live our lives. Uh, idea the idea here is Peter is reminding us that the current world is is not our actual home. We're aliens. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. Philippians um, uh, three twenty. Paul wrote, 
For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He's reminding us of those kind of things. Hebrews 11, verses 10 through 11 and verse 16, which speaks of Abraham. And Abraham looked for a city whose foundation and maker was not made with hands, is is the idea here. He's looking for the heavenly home. Uh, That's that's where he had his, his fix on. And that's what that's what he's calling us to here. I remember back in the, just one of my little silly stories, but I remember back in the back some time ago, my oldest son, he bought a mid 70s uh, El Camino and it was not the mid 70s when he bought it. So uh, I understand it was a very used El Camino and it needed some work. And, and of course, since that's what I did for a living. Guess what I got to do? Well, every time something was wrong, then I got to work on it. But at any rate, at any rate, we needed to do some body repair on it. And he didn't wreck it, but it had had some damage when he bought it. And we, we went to a we went to a junkyard to find parts for it, fender and a door. And I walked into the junkyard. and I was looking around there, and I said to him, I said, you know, look around this place. You see all these all these pieces of cars that are left here? And I said, you know, at one time, those were somebody's brand new pride and joy. Mm-hmm. You know, don't fix your hope on things. They destroy. So does this planet. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, don't, put all your, uh, don't put all your eggs in that basket because it's going to get dropped is the idea. And, and then he goes on and he says, he, says, <clears throat> he says, what sort of people ought we be? And he says, in holy conduct and godliness. Uh, here he talks about it. He says he, he talks about our our uh, the truths that should be present in our lives. He's saying these future truths about the planet, about what God is going to do, the fact that this heaven and this earth is passing away, and there is a new heaven and a new earth coming, which is our true home. Given that, how should we conduct ourselves in this crumbling world? That's that's what he's that's what he's calling us to. And he says, first of all, in holy conduct. That's the first thing he says. Uh, In other words, living in this present home that is not our home, we should it should impact our behavior. He says living in holy conduct. This is how we live our our daily lives. That's that's what this conduct idea here has. Our our actions, our behavior. It's our visible witness to the world, how we conduct ourselves. How we present ourselves in the world is is what this is what this is talking about. And he's saying it should be holy conduct. It should be godly conduct. It should be gone conduct becoming the one who bought us, Jesus Christ. That's the idea. And then he says, secondly, uh, it should it should impact our heart attitude in godliness is the way we are we are to conduct ourselves. He's saying our conduct should be holy and our attitudes should should be our reverence, our piety, if you will, should be that of godliness that's that's the way that's the way we are to we are to be seen by the world that's that's the that's that's how we are to to behave ourselves in the world in which we this is how we ought to live is what he is saying here the scoffers denied the second coming uh, uh, believers are to live in a way that demonstrates to man 
that they expect to see Jesus at any moment. That's what he's, that's what he's calling them to here in, in verse 11. And he goes on in verse 12, and he says, he continues on how we ought to live, and he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, this is a, this is a text that I've got four or five different commentaries, and a couple of them agree here, and a couple of them agree here, and they don't agree with each other uh, altogether. Uh, It says, and we'll look at that here, he says, but first of all, he says we're to be looking for. We're to have an expectation. Uh, We're to have a watchful waiting, an anticipation, literally of the Lord's coming is what he's talking about here. That's what we're to be, that's what we're to be looking for. It's that imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that we are looking for. That's what he says, looking for, uh, and and, um, uh, in Titus at Chitus, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, Paul wrote, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, 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 what, that's what he's t- saying here. This is what we're to be doing. We're to live an anticipatory life of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word that causes a lot of trouble is this word hastening. Uh, it, in the NIV translated speed. And speed his return, uh, which there those translators are basically saying that somehow our actions can change the date. Uh, I don't really believe that's true. I don't think I don't think that we can change the date uh, necessarily. I don't think we, that we have any effect. I think that's fixed. God in eternity fixed the moments. He fixed the precise moment Jesus would be born, and he knows the precise moment Jesus will return. I don't think we really affect that in the way of saying, well, we can speed it up by a year and a half, you know, or or we can delay it by our failure by 10 years. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's, I really don't think that's what it means. But some, some try to take it that way. The, the idea here, the idea here is our time Our time is to be spent in service. We're not to sloth off. We're not to we're not to neglect our service. We're we're to be busy about it. Uh, Our we're to be busy about our job and service. Our time is to be spent in service. First John two twenty eight. The idea is to strengthen our confidence so that we have hope and not fear. As First John four eighteen tells us that perfect love casts out fear. The idea the idea here is we're not to live in fear. We're to be busy about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, and he basically says, hasten his coming. And his coming is, that, that's the word parousa, which basically means the presence. And in the New Testament, it really refers to the bodily arrival of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it refers to. And that's what this is talking about. Uh, that's what that's what Peter is calling on us here is to we we're to be looking for that and we're to be busy about our lives, living them for him and in service to him. Uh, and we're to be looking for that moment when he is going to arrive. And it says and then it goes on to say, and this is kind of an interesting phrase. And there's debate on this one, too. Uh, the day of God. Most of the time in the New Testament, it's going to say the day of the Lord. The Old Testament as well. Uh, There are two New Testament passages, however, that say the day of God. Both of those passages, this is one of them, the other one is is, uh, Revelation 9.16, 
excuse me, 1614. And, and in both of those places, in both of those places, it's talking about the parousia, the moment Jesus Christ appears. I think maybe the wording is there for a specific reason. Mm. While that's the culmination of the day of the Lord, it is a very specific day, the day Jesus arrives. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's addressing here. That's what he's addressing as he comes to this. He says, he says, hastening the coming of the day of God, the day Jesus steps back on this planet. That's, that's the picture that he's, that he's bringing to our mind here. It's, I think it's a, the specific moment in which he returns. And then he, he, he continues here and he says, because of which the heavens are burning will be destroyed and the elements will be melted with intense heat. And he returns back to, back to the idea that keep in mind, Jesus is going to come back and this place is going away. That, that's what he's saying here. Uh, that's he, he's bringing our mind back to that. Uh, you can look at some of the destructive power of God if you go to Revelation chapter eight, verses seven through eleven, sixteen, seventeen through twenty-one, eighteen, eight through through ten. All of these talk about the destructive power of God, and and ultimately, he's going to release. The universe is what it's what he what he what he has told us in the other place. He's gonna he's gonna bring it to an end. It's a, it's a look at the power of God, and then he he goes to the promise and he says, but according to his promise, here's what we're looking for. Here's what we're to be looking for. He says, we're to be looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. He's saying you're to have your focus. And you're to live in the light of, if you will, the coming of the Lord and the day in which he will bring about the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 4 and 22 through 27, talk about the new heaven and the new earth. It pictures it. It gives an example of it. And he goes on to say, this is a place in which righteousness dwells. The implication of that word is, and there is no sin there is no corruption. There is no defilement. It's a time of righteousness. It's where justice prevails. It's where everything is right. And we are right with God. That's the picture that he's, that he's painting. Uh, and he says, we're to live in light of that. And this is where we take and dwell. The word dwell here is a word that means to take up permanent residence, to be at home. And that's what he's saying. We come home to our real residence. Our permanent residence. I lived in my current house since 1974. As far as the world is concerned, it's my permanent residence. I've been there a long time. And I'll probably be there until I get called out of this place. But because I don't move much. <laughs> but at any rate, but at any rate, but at any rate, that's not my home. Uh, that, 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 that place, if you look at the house and you walk around the house, you realize it, like everything else in this world, is starting to crumble in places. It's getting old, you know, and, and uh, that's, not where, that's not my permanent home. That's my temporary address. My permanent home is the new heaven and the new earth where nothing crumbles, nothing fails. Because it is a place of righteousness. It's where righteousness dwells. And that's what we're looking for. That's what he says we're looking for. Don't fix your hopes on the things of this world, 
but on the but on the new heaven and the new earth, which is our true home. But be at service while you're here. Live a life that tipli- that that exemplifies your Christ. That's that's the idea. Verse fourteen. John. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, back um, when you were talking about the day of God, I think you used the word perus. Perusa. Perusa. So is so, but this is not talking about the rapture, right? No, that's that, not the rapture. Is the is perusa? That? The perusa is is the moment Jesus returns to okay. the planet. It's when Jesus comes back. They get confused. Okay. The rapture is a totally different thing. Okay. It's pre that. Jesus doesn't touch the planet during right. the rapture. So we meet him in the air. doesn't mean rapture then. doesn't mean rapture. Okay. Although it's very often used that way. Okay. All right. Uh, people use it that way. Because it it kind of opens the door to the completing the completing of the time. You know, okay. it's more or less seven years after that, mm-hmm. the true perusa, the appearance of God on earth happens. Okay, thank you. Okay, Uh, verses 14 through 18, uh, and I kind of titled this, Living in Light of the Time. He says in verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since we're looking for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, Mm -hmm. spotless, and blameless. That's what he says. Given the fact, therefore, Beloved, which incidentally he's speaking to believers here. Whenever he uses the term beloved, he's speaking to believers. Uh, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's not speaking to tagalongs. He's speaking to the family of God. He said, therefore, beloved, beloved, uh, since you are looking for these things, you are looking for the day of, the, of God, uh, the new heaven, the new earth, eternity, the kingdom, the time of absolute righteousness, your permanent dwelling place. Since you're looking to those things, be diligent to be found in him in, at peace. The interesting idea here is that it says, be found in him in peace. Uh, be found in him has the concept of the fact is no one is out of his sight. You know, I, I think sometimes we forget that. Uh, we forget that God knows everything. He, he knows everything. He knows when you raise up. He knows when you lay down. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all of it. He knows all of those things. Uh, He knows where you are at any moment. He knows what's going on at any moment. And he knows what's going on in your head at any moment. All of these things are true. Uh, No one is out of his sight. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Uh, And he says, so therefore be found at peace. That's the idea here. Uh, be diligent to be found in him in peace. Peace here is be- addressing believers in the, in the word beloved. So he's not saying, he's not referring to saving faith, which very often that's what, fi- that's what saving faith produces is peace with God. Uh, when you come, that's our reconciliation with God. Uh, Jesus reconciled us. He brought peace. He made propitiation. He turned away God's wrath. And, and brought us to peace. That's, sal- that's all part and parcel of salvation. Uh, but that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, he's not talking about initial salvation. He's talking to people who have already experienced that. People who in the, that sense of saving grace are already at peace with God. But what he's saying here is, is that, they are, that they should have peace of mind. 
they should understand the time in which they live. They should have a clear view of what is going on uh, as the scriptures have taught them. They are to therefore be at peace about what is the surroundings that's going on uh, or the circumstances that are going on around them. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 familiar passages, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and petition, give th- uh, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all, comp- uh, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Jesus Christ. This is the peace he's talking about. That our minds can be at peace because we understand the God who knows where we are, knows what is going on, knows every circumstance, is there? That's that's the idea that he's that he's expressing here. But we're to have peace of mind that comes from the fact that we've exercised faith, and that should come through in our living. That's that's the idea here. And then he goes on and he says that we would be spotless and blameless. And oh, by the way, I think I made a boo boo in your uh, in your notes on the text because the text should be 2.13 not 2.3 I think that's what I typed in but I'm not sure uh, but at any rate, at any rate uh, he says they were to be spotless and blameless uh, in 2.13 Peter has already said about the false teachers and keep in mind they're still in view here he's still, he's still all of this is to circumvent the 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 misunderstanding and the confusion and the turmoil that they can cause he, he says he, in 213 he's, he's talking about them uh, well let's pick it up in 212 he says but these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed blaspheming where they have no knowledge will be in the destruction of those creatures uh, also be destroyed Suffering unrighteousness is the wages of their unrighteousness, considering it a pleasure to revile in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reviling in the deception as they feast with you. Kind of an ugly picture. Uh, But he says, there are spots and blemishes. He says, they're the filth that comes with with them is, is what is what he's talking about here and he says but you but you the beloved you believers you're to have a spotless character there is to be no corruption with you you're to be you're to have a pure character before god and you're to be blameless this doesn't mean that people won't throw accusations at you, but they can't stick is the idea that, that your character, uh, your reputation is to be blameless. That a charge can't be lawfully brought against you. Believers are to maintain the highest level of integrity and personal uh, purity. That's that's what he's that's what he's telling them here. This is how we're to live in face of the world and uh, um, in the in the circumstance of the world in which we find ourselves. The idea is that believers are to focus on Jesus. Hebrews twelve two fixing our eyes upon Jesus, uh, looking toward the heavenly home and the promise of its rewards. That's the idea here. He, once again, Hebrews 11, 10 through, uh, uh, 5 through 10, is Abraham looked for that city 
That's what we're to be looking for. Having our eyes fixed upon Jesus. That's what verse 14 is calling us to. And then in 15, uh, in 15, Peter goes on to say, And considering the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So we want to look at the first part of that. The scoffers questioned Jesus' return. This was one of the things Peter's already dealt with. Uh, they, requ- they, they, they said that everything just goes on as it is. Uh, there's nothing, no, nothing, there's no God intervention in history. It just keeps going on. Uh, and, and, oh yeah, well they talk about Jesus coming back, but I don't see him. That's, that's pretty much the scoffers. Uh, that's what he's, that's what he's saying about them. Uh, <clears throat> And, and basically what Peter is going to do in verse 15 is he's telling us, don't become slack. Uh, don't, don't let this stuff confuse you. Don't let this stuff muddle your thinking. You know, very often when you hear the same thing repeated enough, sometimes you start repeating it. <laughs> you, you know, that's, that's pretty much what politicians in the news tries to do. Uh, they just do a, a mantra that they repeat over and over and over and try to get it stuck in your head. Uh, well, that's what these guys were doing. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. And, and Peter is saying, don't let this get stuck in your head. Uh, don't slack off. Don't, don't think, well, I've got, you know, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a typical not too mature Christian attitude. Well, I've got time. I'll deal with this tomorrow. Uh, you don't have, you're not promised the next breath. You know, and that's what Peter is saying here. Uh, he says, he says, he says to them, and consider the patience of our Lord as salvation. That's what he's saying here. Uh, that's what he just said in the previous verses. Uh, that was, that's what he said back up, uh, back up earlier. Uh, God doesn't, don't count slowness with God. Understand that he is eternal and he lives in eternity. He's not bound by that watch. He's, he's, he's not bound by time. He created time. And he created time so that we had a reference point. But he didn't need it because he lives in eternity. And he, he will take his time to ensure that Every last human being he intends to save is saved. Then time will end. That's, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, he says, that time he is giving is to provide salvation. That's, that's the idea here. And you need to keep that in mind. He's providing time for the elect to be saved. And incidentally, uh, a, good, a good example of this is Luke 15, 11 through 32, which is the story of the prodigal son. You know, uh, dad didn't get on his horse and go running after the kid. He gave him time. And in time, he came to his senses and he came home. That's a picture of the elect. Somewhere along the time frame, they will come home. The Spirit will draw them home. That, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea that he's expressing here. That's what he wants him to understand. And God is patient. And it should be coupled with an anticipation that he is coming. Which should, in effect, drive us to evangelize. That, therein is the motive. 
2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul told Timothy in verse 5, he said, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's what we're to be about. That's what we're to be about. And then he goes on to say, and then he brings up the Apostle Paul. And he says, Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. And what he's saying here, he's saying, Paul gave the same warnings I'm giving to you. He gave the same teaching I'm giving to you. One of the things you need to understand is Scripture is consistent. Yes, it had a number of writers. Yes, it's made up of 66 books. Yes, it was written over a few thousand years. But it's consistent. It's without error, and it's without contradiction. And Peter is acknowledging that. That he and Peter had the same thing to say, say uh, or excuse me, Peter and Paul mm-hmm. had the same thing to say. Yeah, it's kind of a tangential thought. Does this imply that Peter has read Paul's letters? Do you think? And can they like come to some agreement on it? I don't know. I'm trying to ask. Well, they agree on it. They didn't come to an agreement. They didn't debate it. But uh, yes, Paul's letters were available. But it shows they're in agreement. It, things, yeah. In fact, we're about to get to that. Good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> these two did. These two did have a lot of time together. Uh, this, so, but at any rate, uh, but at any rate, but at any rate, that's that's what he's saying here. Uh, he's calling the believers to be steadfast, and he's, and he's and he's saying they both warned against the false teachers. They both warned about the same things. They both taught the same things. Those are the ideas that he's saying here. Uh, uh, he says, our beloved brother Paul, on a fellow apostle with the same mission. And now, to kind of fill in on your question, yes, there was one time when Peter and Paul had a little bit of a disagreement. It was in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, where Peter succumbed to the influences of the Judaizers and ate at the kosher table. Uh, insulting the Gentiles. And Paul got in his face and kind of told him off. And you know what Peter's response was? He repented. Because he knew he was wrong. After that, uh, Paul mentions Peter in 1 Corinthians in several places, chapter 112, uh, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 22, chapter 9, verse 5, chapter 15, verse 5. Paul, Paul spent a 15-day visit with Peter in Jerusalem, Galatians 1.8. So yes, they did have time together and they talked together. Uh, uh, Paul called Peter the apostle to the Jews in Galatians 2.18 and a pillar of the church in Galatians 2, uh, 2, 9. And both addressed the, Gentile, uh, the, the question of Gentile salvation at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 5, 6 through 21, and both concurred on what that should be. So these are two men who thought alike, 
who were apostles, who 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 uh, who uh, who uh, uh, who were both followers of Christ and both apostles of Jesus Christ and both inspired writers, which we're going to talk to now. And he, and he did it according to the wisdom which was given him. P- Peter recognizes Paul as an inspired writer. Uh, first, uh, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, I'm not going to read that passage. It's really long. But basically, Peter goes on there about how it is the Spirit of God who reveals the truth of God. And he's going on about that's how his message came. And then in, in, in chapter 12 and verse 8, he talks about how the Spirit, it's the same Spirit who gives wisdom and who gives knowledge. Uh, all of those kind of things. It, he's, he's talking about how inspiration comes about. And understand that there's two sides to that. These guys are inspired writers. The Spirit of God moved on them to write the words of God. You and I have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and He illumines the Scriptures to us, meaning He gives us the ability to understand them. Now, that's how we know what they say, uh, because we have the Spirit of God working within us. That's not inspiration. <laughs> you're, not give, you're not giving new doctrine. You're just, you're just given the ability to understand what's already given. <laughs> we had a guy, this is not funny, but at any rate, we had a guy that was uh, in the, uh, not the last church I went to, but but before that, and they brought a guy in as an associate pastor, and he went before the ordination board, and they asked him the difference between illumination and inspiration, and he didn't know. And they sent him home. They wouldn't ordain him, rightfully, and they sent him home. And the guy came to me and asked me that question. And I, I went, you went to Multnomah Bible College, and you don't know that answer? It was like... That's that's just basic. That's basic theology 101, you know. Anyway, sorry about that. Anyhow. But that's what happens. That's what happens. But here he's, he's telling us that uh, our beloved brother Paul, and then he goes on in verse 16, as also in his letters, Peter knew of his letters. Understand, these guys had been in the same places. Who was Peter writing to, writing to? The churches in Asia Minor. Where did Paul spend a lot of his time ministering? The churches in Asia Minor. Places like like Galatians, where they had been together. Places like Ephesians. Places like Colossians. All of those areas Peter and Paul had been to, not necessarily together, but had been in those places. Peter was very much aware of Paul's writings. He knew what Paul wrote. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, also in all of his letters, speaking them of these things, of many of the things we're talking about here. And then he makes this statement, and I laugh every time I read this statement because I've been teaching first and second Peter, and Peter doesn't think he's not hard to understand sometimes. But he says, in which some of these things are hard to understand. Now understand what are you saying here? He's referring back to some of the false teaching that's going on. Paul taught serious truth. So did Peter. But it has to be understood properly. And the false teachers then and today take it and he's going to say, tell us, twist it. Mm-hmm. And, and in one of the and, and perhaps in one of these areas, obviously, in first Thessalonians, we know the Thessalonians had some confusion over the rapture. 
and, and and that whole area, they were they were wanting to know what happened. That that uh, there were some within the church that had already died, and are they left out? You know, is is what he wanted to know. And Paul had to go back and help them and correct them. Uh, so we know that there was some eschatological issues uh, that that uh, that had come up that uh, that people didn't necessarily understand from Paul's writings. Another place that a lot of misunderstanding that still goes on today uh, goes on is on the on the on the question of justification by faith. Uh, basically, there are people who teach. And if you believe this, you're wrong. No, but at any rate, uh, that justification by faith means once saved, always saved, no matter how I live. In other words, it says, I can walk down the aisle, make a profession, pray some simple little prayer, and go live however I want. If you believe that, you're not saved. Bottom line. But that's what they were teaching. That's what free grace was teaching. When I was in seminary, that battle went on between lordship, salvation, and free grace. Both of those were names given by the other side to the other side that were derogatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but we took on the lordship one and said, yeah, we like that. <laughs> but nevertheless, nevertheless, that's, that's, that's the idea here. Those kind of things go on today. I, I, was, I, I once heard a guy... I was. I hadn't been a Christian very long, but I knew this was wrong. Uh, the guy had daughter had gone forward. She was still a kid, and and I, I agree with Jay Vernon McGee here. He said his daughter received Christ when she was preteen, and uh, he asked her every day up into her thirties, "Is it real?" Mm-hmm. Was it real? You know, and this is the case here is the guy walks back down the aisle with his daughter and he says to me, well, she got her fire insurance. I got another one in Uh, wrong understanding. But at any rate, at any rate, those are deadly things that go on. Um, I I have a quote here that uh, I think is kind of fitting. Um, This this quote is comes from uh, um, G.K. Charleston, uh, Char- Charleston, Chesterton, thank you, uh, who is a uh, Christian apologetic, and I think he probably is more Catholic than anything, but, but nevertheless, he was a journalist and a poet and a number of other things. But he wrote this, and this is very much to the point. Orthodoxy was like walking along a narrow edge, almost like a knife edge. One step to either side was a step to disaster. Jesus is God and man. God is love and holiness. Christ is grace and mortality. The Christian life lives in this world and in the world of eternity. Overstress either side of these great truths, and at once destructive heresy emerges. Such was the case here. The false teachers no longer submitted their actions to the scrutiny of Scripture. They made Scripture the just justification for what they wanted to do. And we see tons of that today. We see tons of that today. I, I think that's just an important thing to understand. He says it was hard to handle, meaning that it was, it was difficult to interpret. It does not mean it was impossible. It just means some of it was interpreted. Uh, 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 was was possible was was more complex. Uh, notice First Peter. In First Peter, oops, First Peter, chapter one, 
especially at verse 10. We'll pick it up at verse 10. Actually, the whole section from verse 1 through 12, but we'll pick it up at 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time and what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glory of follow. It was revealed to them that they were no longer serving themselves, but you in these things, which now uh, which now have been declared to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In other words, there is complexity to the scriptures. There is complexity to the scriptures. And, and when Paul says, and he goes on to say, he say, he goes on to say that they that these people are are untaught and unstable, and they distort or twist is is the idea here. They're untaught, meaning they lacked information. They're unstable. They have an unsettled character is the idea here. Distort or twist, and it's the picture of a torture rack. Uh, you know, the rack of ancient times. That's the picture here. That, that they, they they take the scriptures and they put them on a rack and they just twist them up, is the idea here. Um, And here it would be specifically the prophetic issues. And he says, but they do it to the rest of Scripture, all Scripture. And incidentally, in using this word, in using this word, because Scripture in the New Testament refers to the Old Testament, Old Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets, that's scripture, the Psalms, the historical books, all the all of the all of the things of the Old Testament is scripture. Paul is or Peter is saying here, the words of Paul are scripture. They're equal to Moses. Uh, they're equal to Isaiah. They're equal to Jeremiah. They're equal to David, so on and so forth. Uh, that's what he's saying here. He's declaring them. He's declaring them scripture in effect. And he says they do all of this to their own destruction. Ultimately, ultimately they will face God and he will say, I never knew you. That's what's going to happen with these guys. They face destruction. And in uh, in 2.12, he had already said that. He says, but these like unreasoning animals, they're in their destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. That's 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 the idea he, he wants him to understand here. Uh, there is no hope for them. They have they have departed from the from any sense of the faith, I guess you would say. And then he goes on in verse 17. He brings this to a conclusion. He says, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. In other words, you've been forewarned. You've been told. You know that you believers that you know the work of the false of the false teachers. Um, uh, they <coughs> excuse me uh, beforehand be on guard. Lest you having been carried away by the error of a principled men fall from your own steadfastness. And what are you saying here? He's saying, look, you be on guard. You cling to the scriptures. You cling to the apostolic teaching. You don't let yourself be carried away with, with some fanciful ideas from these guys. You be on guard. Be on alert. Paul told the Ephesian elders in, in Acts 20, verse 28, to be on guard for the whole flock of which God has made you an overseer. Uh, there's a guardianship that needs to go on within the church, and it's, it's extremely important. And not be carried away 
uh, and not be carried away. Timothy, chapter chapter one. I think I have this one wrong. I think I have chapter two down. But anyway, chapter one, verses eighteen and nineteen. This is the commandment I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keep the faith and a good conscience, which which some have rejected, suffering shipwreck in regard to their faith. And then he goes on to name a couple of them. Two of my favorite guys, Jaime and Phil, or Al, I mean, Jaime and Al in that case. But at any rate, he says, he basically says here, not to be carried away with the lies of the false teachers, because it can trip up your faith. It can, it can cause your steadfastness to falter, your firmness, your standing firm. He's not saying that you would lose your salvation, but certainly you would lose some of your sanctification. You might wonder... Uh, you might uh, uh, be somewhat lost in how you do things. Uh, your your growth would be hampered. It would be stymated. You would not be able to to continue to do the things you ought to do. Uh, you would find uh, you would not advance or increase. Uh, growth here means to advance or increase in the sphere, within that sphere. And then in this case, it's within the fear of godliness. Uh, and, and it's accomplished by knowledge. Uh, your knowledge would be hampered because it would have been twisted. That's the idea here uh, that he's saying. He's basically warning them, stay away from this. Don't let these unprincipled men, which means men who are without law or custom, they're morally corrupt is the idea that's being expressed here. It's a picture of the false teacher's character. And then finally he says, he says, but you grow in the grace and knowledge. This is where your focus to be, is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's where your focus is to be. Uh, I would assume that's why you come to church each Sunday. I assume that's why you have this Bible in your home and hopefully you read it daily. Uh, is that you would grow in the grace and knowledge. This is why we pray and we entrust ourselves to him, that we would grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Incidentally, that's an affirmation of Jesus' deity because, because, <clears throat> because Isaiah 42, 8 tells us that only God receives glory and he shares it with no one. And here... Jesus is receiving glory. John 1.14. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. We'll close with this. When Christ who is our life is manifest, then you also will be manifest with him in glory. Amen. Any comments or questions this morning? Yes. I just am for clarify something. So the perusia is equated with the day of the Lord. Right? Yeah. And the day of the Lord is equated with the Christ. Well, the perusia means the appearance. Um, and the perusia is used very often in reference to the rapture. Um, God appears, I mean, he appears in the air, so it, it is a sense of perusia. But, but here it's being used to speak of the moment he sets foot on planet Earth. That's, that's the idea here. It's when he comes back. It's the second coming. 
That's that's what it's talking about here, uh, because it, it it it's not it's it's an event, but it's a it's an event of of presence. Uh, the event is his presence is is really the idea that's being expressed here and here they're calling it the day of God uh, those terms seem to be somewhat interchangeable they may be since they're only used in two places and both of them speak to the second coming there may be some technical truth to that there's a debate on that uh, uh, I don't know I kind of I kind of like the idea that it's very specific uh, that it that it that uh, that seems to make sense to me. But uh, there are good men that would say it's just synonymous with Day of the Lord. So you can kind of take the, it. This passage equates the, the big worldwide flood, cataclysm, judgment with the worldwide exodus, yeah, fire judgment. Exactly. Which that. is you know melting with fervent heat, so it's a physical fire judgment. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, how that fits in with the millennium. Basically. Well, the millennium, the millennium, the, the the one of the problems with 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 uh, that, that we run into is we have to we have to uh, understand that uh, that when Jesus comes back, when the second coming comes back, he just he ends the rule of Satan on planet Earth for. And he establishes the millennial reign to fulfill all the promises to Israel. Which, and then after that is when the new heaven and the earth came. So, there, so while these events, when you look down the timeline of history, have things in between them, the major events are the second coming and then the new heaven and the new earth. But the millennium is, a, is, is the time where Israel is restored. All the promises to Israel are fulfilled. Uh, all of that kind of thing is going on there. Uh, uh, the fire judgment doesn't happen until after that. The great white throne and, then the, uh, and, and all of that is involved at the close of the millennium. Is, so there are, there are, I don't know how to... How to the, uh, the Old Testament prophets, when you look at their teaching, they saw the major points. They, know, they saw nothing in between. Well, in some places they did, but they didn't know what they fully were talking about. And, and here, Peter is, Peter is kind of lumping things together. You know, he's kind of lumping that whole end of things into one big, big idea. But his, his primary focus, his focus isn't so much on the restoration of Israel. His focus is on, on, on judgment and godliness and, and what this world should mean to us versus, versus what the coming world should mean to us, where our hope should be fixed, where our, where our, our timing should be. And basically, when he uses the perusa here, he's talking about Jesus coming back and in judgment. That's, that's what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about the time he comes back to planet Earth and all those events take place. Yes, there's a millennium after that uh, where he rules and reigns on this restored planet. Uh, then ultimately, everything is consumed and the new heaven and the new earth come down. And that is the point where there is no more sin ever. Sin is contained in the millennium. Sin is eliminated in eternity. So, yeah, there's a gap in there. Uh, that's the millennium. Um, I don't mean to confuse that, but I probably did. 
But the, but the millennium is a very specific time. And it's a very specific time uh, that uh, we're involved in it, but we're in glorified bodies at that point. We, we've already been translated. Um, um, and uh, 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 But there is, that is a time when, when Israel takes its, the place it was meant to take. And uh, God fulfills all the promises that he made to them. The promises to Abraham, the promises to David, they're all fulfilled. Um, and it's a time when Christ reigns as king on the planet over, over Israel in Jerusalem and, and uh, over the rest of the world as well. When the rest of the world comes in place, homage to, to Israel. So that's, that's the millennial reign. But uh, this is this is uh, this is this is going beyond that into eternity. That's where Peter shoots his focus is to eternity. And he's for the believer. That's where our focus to be. Uh, The millennium is a time we will be a part of. And we will have some uh, 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 jobs within it. Uh, But it's not the time that's specific like the church age uh, or eternity, it's it's basically a time when the fulfillment of everything to Israel takes place. So, so uh, I don't know how else to explain that. I just had questions. I, it seems like when you're reading through this chapter, just looking at this chapter one, I know we need to get in with all the scripture. But it seems like the day of the Lord, like his Perusia, is associated with the completion. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it, long it, suffering is waiting for to come to him. Yeah. And it seems like he comes at that point. So. Well, he, actually, because sal- there's still salvation during the millennium. So, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, um, no, he he uh, he is. But he's shooting us a view past that. He's shooting a view that we live now patiently because the Lord is coming. And when and eventually when he does come, whenever that time is, there's a judgment to be faced. And this earth, this universe is abolished. And a new heaven and a new earth are, are uh, come into existence. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff he's not talking about here, and he's not he's not fitting into the scheme. We have to go to other places to fit that in and put it all together. In three chapters, Peter didn't give the whole truck. He just he just gave a, he just gave the. You know, you ever, you've ever seen a dump truck and trailer? He just dumped the pup. He didn't dump the big load. <laughs> that's that's really the idea here. So anyway, let's 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 close. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you. We thank you for the book of Peter. We thank you for Peter's teaching. And we just ask that Father, we would that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and thereby glorify Him in all things. And we would thank you in His name. Amen.